You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 through 24. Paul says, So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. I want to pray for us. Father, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this word, this closing word to um, a letter um, that uh, I believe you wrote through the Apostle Paul to a group of people who were gathered in a town called Ephesus that made up the Ephesian church. And yet, this many years later, you are speaking to us through it. And I pray, Father, that you would come and do that again this morning. You've been so faithful to us over the last year and a half to speak to us through um, this letter. And I pray, Father, that you would just do it again this morning. That you would come and encourage our hearts. That you would come and strengthen our hearts. That you would come and confront areas of darkness and sin um, and rebellion in our hearts. That you would come and reveal Christ in all of his power, all of his majesty, and all of his glory, that you would come and help us to live in the shadow of the cross in the doorway in the empty tomb. Father, we pray that. We trust you to do that work in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. So it's hard to believe, right, that we have spent a little over a year. If I count it up, has been nearly a year and a half studying this book. It um, kind of feels surreal to me. Every time we reach the end of a book that we've studied through together, it feels surreal for me to preach the last message um, always kind of feels like you know Custer in his last stand I don't know that's a horrible um, illustration so please strike that from the record um, but it does feel surreal to me to be preaching the, the last message in Ephesians for us um, and in some ways I think I feel a little bit sad um, have felt a little bit sad all week as I thought about this message in this text um, this has been a deeply personal book for me um, over the last year um, and a lot can happen in, in, in a year, right? Uh, I want you to think back just over the last 12 months, over the last year. To think about your life in a year. What's happened in your life in a year? A lot's probably happened, I assume. And a lot's happened for me. To think back over some of the high points of the last 12 months in your life. What were some of those high points? Think about some of the low points. What were some of the low points in your life? Um, how would you sum up the last year? If you, could, if you could draw attention to some of the major themes in your life from the last 12 months, how would you do it in just four short sentences? Like any, uh, any good movie or any good book um, that you've read, our lives are made up of uh, plot lines, storylines. There's high points and there's low points and there's tension in between those high and low points. Um, there are things that uh, may seem clearer to you 
today than they did 12 months ago. <laughs> and there might be things that seem foggier to you today than they did 12 months ago. Um, the reality is that every one of us in this room is a work in progress. We have not yet arrived, right? The story isn't over. God is still writing the story of our lives on a day-to-day basis for us. We're not in heaven yet. And I think sometimes what happens is that in our pursuit of earthly goals, because we live here on earth, and whether those are good and godly goals or whether they're ungodly goals, in our pursuit of just living life to its fullest, uh, I think we can oftentimes rush forward with such eagerness that, that we can easily miss out on some of the important moments. Right? Sometimes it's easy to do this when we study the Bible. Easy to study the Bible and miss really important things. Right? But just think about your study of the Bible even over the last year. Like I think oftentimes when we go to the Bible and when we study the Bible, um, we go to the Bible so that we can hear from God, so that we can find answers to some of our deepest questions, some of our deepest concerns, some of our deepest pains. Um, we, stutter, st- uh, we study some of the major storylines, right, in the Bible, if you think about that, and we remember things. We forget a lot of things, too, but we remember things. And we oftentimes remember major storylines like David and Goliath, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I heard one guy say, Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro. I think that's okay to say. Or Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go. Anyways, the jokes probably go on and on, but I think we remember major storylines from the Bible. Daniel and the lion's den. Um, I don't know what some of your favorite storylines are in the Bible, but there are many different storylines. We're coming into a season of Christmas. The major storyline of Jesus coming to this earth as a baby in a manger to then die. It was his whole purpose in coming. Um, We come to that storyline here uh, really soon as well. Remember Adam and Eve? Um, Sometimes it's easy to miss the small, seemingly unimportant things, right, in Scripture. Um, Like concluding remarks written by a church planning pastor to a small church in Ephesus. This section of text would be easy for us to just kind of read and move along. I think sometimes a concluding remark or a goodbye or, um, or what we're studying here could just feel like a courteous goodbye, right? It could just feel like a random uh, handful of leftover thoughts um, that maybe the author just wanted to wrap up with. Oftentimes, I think what happens is we miss the importance of a conclusion. If you think about this, this is a conclusion to an entire book that we've studied, a letter. Think about, um, think about some of the best movies you've ever seen for a minute as we're thinking about conclusions. Think about some of the best movies that have left you on the edge of your seat at the very end of the movie. Cliffhangers, so to speak. Um, I don't know which movie that is for you this last year. Um, there was a certain superhero movie that uh, I watched with Lewis um, this last year that kind of um, left me wondering what's going to happen. I think it was called Infinity War. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, oh my gosh, you're like on the edge of your seat, like what the heck is it? You're just waiting like, please give me the second half. And you're 
desiring, you're yearning for that almost. I mean, it, it left us in conversation for days. We still have conversations about it because I had this whole theory of how the second movie is going to go. I think it's a good theory. We'll talk about it sometime. We can chat about it. <laughs> Lewis thinks I'm crazy. He's like, Dad, you're a big girl. That's his major comeback. <laughs> I love good movies that have good cliffhangers. This is what makes you know, a weekly TV show. This is what makes a weekly TV show really um, interesting to watch. Keeps your attention. Keeps you hungering for more. You can't wait to see what's coming next. And uh, my prayer uh, for us in, in, in this text is that, um, is that these last four sentences of Paul's letter to the Ephesians would, would do the same thing for us. That we wouldn't just give it a passing glance. Um, that, that we would dive deep into it. So my prayer is that what Paul says here, my prayer is that what he says would actually leave us hungry for more, right? Hungry for more of what? Because there's no more Ephesians to study. You can go back and re-study Ephesians, but hungry for more of what? Maybe hungry for more of the mysteries of God's Word, or hungry for more of the Gospel, or maybe hungry for more of the Father's presence. What's it been like for you as we've studied this for the last year for you to practice communing in the presence of your Heavenly Father who loves you? Maybe hungry for more of the power of the Spirit in your life. Or where is it that as you walk in this morning that you just need the power of the Holy Spirit in your weakness? That's my hope is that this would cause hunger in us, that we would come through the end of this and be on the edge of our seat hungering and desiring for what God might continue to do in each of us. So the question I think we have to ask to kind of continue into this text is what's in this conclusion, right? What, what are some of the major pieces of the conclusion that, uh, that Paul writes here? Um, it's fairly simple. The layout of the text isn't super hard. Um, Paul concludes with a few words about a faithful friend, right, named Tychicus. Um, he also gives us a reminder of, I think, the major themes of the gospel. Um, and then he also kind of ends with a statement about an undying love for Jesus. And, and in all of those, as I study that out, especially in context of the entire book of Ephesians and thinking about the context of Scripture and some of the major story plot lines, I came up with this big idea. It'll be on the screen in front of you for the rest of our time together. Um, the big idea, I think, here, the thing, the big takeaway for me, the thing that encouraged me as I studied the scripture is just remembering once again that Jesus is the faithful friend and the major theme that anchors my undying love for him. I think about that. Jesus is the faithful friend and the major theme that anchors my undying love for him. I hope that... Um, as I continue to preach this, I hope that that one kind of captured thought at the bottom of the screen in front of you would kind of be the big takeaway, because I think there's a lot of nuance in, in that big um, overriding thought. The first thing that I notice in the text, in verses 21 through 22, is what Paul says about a faithful friend, right? Look at what he says. He says, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing... Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your heart. 
Now, I can think of uh, nothing more encouraging than a faithful friend in every season. I just, even pie at Thanksgiving is not as encouraging as a faithful friend for every season. And Paul describes that kind of friend when he describes Tychicus. Tychicus is someone who will represent Paul faithfully. He is a beloved brother. He's a beloved brother and he has shared in the ministry of the gospel faithfully. That's an encouraging thing to have someone share in the ministry of the gospel with you faithfully. Paul makes entire lists of people who bail on him and names them. So this this is an encouragement. When Tychicus is coming to the Ephesians, you've got to think of the Ephesians, where they're at, kind of in the same place we are. They, they haven't received the letter. They're just now reading this conclusion at the end of the letter, and they realize, hey, Tychicus has come and brought this letter in hand. And the reason he's bringing this letter to the Ephesians is to encourage their hearts. That's what Paul says. Every one of us needs a friend like Tychicus, don't you think? And I also think that every one of us needs to try to be a little bit more like Tychicus, don't you think? The scriptures teach us a ton of things um, about what it means to be a faithful friend. And we learn in the words of scripture uh, that the words of an enemy are oftentimes laced with flattery, make you feel good. We learn that uh, the words of a faithful friend will sometimes cut deeply. And we also learn in scripture that a faithful friend is someone who is willing to give up his life for his friends. And an even better friend is willing to give up his life for his enemies. Do you have a friend like this? Do you have a friend that you can think of? Do you have that face and that name in your mind? Has God given you that someone that is that faithful friend? Can you you imagine being a friend like this to someone else? Imagine what that would take. I think we all know the pain of unfaithful friends, don't we? We all know what that's like. We all know, I think, the disappointment and the struggle that we all face with being a faithful friend as well. I think we've faced moments in our lives where we've failed epically at this. I think you might know what it's like, maybe, to be misrepresented by somebody. Maybe you're here and you know what it's like to feel completely alone. Or maybe you're here and you know what it's like to be just so discouraged in friendship that you um, struggle even to just face another day, right? I imagine for the Apostle Paul that discouragement and loneliness were easily constant companions for him. He was waiting a certain execution was coming his way. He was on death row, so to speak in a jail cell with a Roman guard chained to him. That doesn't sound like a great friend to me. And we certainly know that Paul was in that prison cell because of false charges from people who should have been his friends. People that should have had his back. People that should have represented him well. People that should have been there with him. Paul knew the pain of being misrepresented. He knew the pain of betrayal. He knew the pain of rejection. But 
The Apostle Paul also knew what he had written to the Ephesians, as you look at this conclusion, right? Think of the context. Paul knew what he had written to the Ephesians. He knew a Savior named Jesus that he had described all throughout his letter. He knew that in Christ we have an eternally faithful friend who has faced the harshest of false accusations. Jesus faced the brutality of abuse from people that should have been his friends, right? Jesus faced the pain of betrayal by his closest of friends. Jesus faced the pain of rejection by those he came to serve. Paul knew that Jesus, and that is the Jesus, the Savior that he's been describing all throughout his letter in many different ways. Paul also knew that all of the pain, all the suffering of this life has been overcome at the cross and through the empty tomb. We all need a Tychicus, and we all need to be more like Tychicus, yes and amen, but in reality, Tychicus is merely a reminder of a more important friend who will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He'll never use you for his own selfish gain. His name is Jesus. Jesus is a faithful friend for every season. This is why the next part of Paul's conclusion is really so important for us because as Paul kind of transitions from this first point, um, he transitions into basically bringing up some of the major themes um, of the gospel. Verse 23. Major themes are important. Why? Why? Why would I say that major themes are important? Major themes are so important because they work to keep us anchored when the circumstances of life are swirling out of control. When your life starts swirling like crazy, when things start to go on tilt, one of the things that will keep you anchored, keep your soul intact, are some of the major themes. The Apostle Paul couldn't control the outcome of his predicament, right? He couldn't control the death sentence that he was on. The only thing in front of him was certain death at the hands of his enemies. And in that place, amid those circumstances, trivial arguments would not do. Would they? I mean, would you really want to argue about secondary things when you're on death row? No. So he doesn't. It's not what he leans on. It's not what he goes to. It's kind of crazy how when we are younger, we love to argue about the stupidest things, don't we? We think back to some of the stupidest arguments you've had. Trivial things. The hope, I think, for us is that as we get older, that uh, we would learn to major in the majors instead of majoring in the minors. Um, It's not always true. Um, But I think that would be the hope And I think what Paul does in verse 23 is he describes some of the majors that we can anchor our soul to. Look at what he says. He says, peace be to the brothers. Now, if you're a brother or a sister and you're receiving this letter, what are you hearing? That's a major theme. Peace be to the brothers. And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, this is like signing the end of a love letter to someone like when I write a love letter to my wife and I sign it, I love you, baby. I mean, there's some 
real weight in that if that's true, right? In this, we see the same thing. We see major themes, peace and love with faith. Paul's heart in this moment as he comes to the end of this letter to the Ephesians church, uh, his heart was anchored in the major themes of the gospel. Paul cared not for trivial arguments. His main message was the gospel, and to the gospel he was shackled. He was shackled to the gift of God in the gospel, shackled to the gifts of peace and the gift of love and the gift of faith that comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but peace uh, seems to be a precious commodity for us these days, don't they? Doesn't it? Peace. Very precious commodity. Especially in these days where anxiety and fear and worry are the name of the game. Everything. Everything from so-called news outlets to department stores will sell their bags of goods with anxiety and fear as the main source of motivation. Here's the other messages that are being piped out to us every single day. You better watch out, because if that political candidate wins, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Better buy this new thing, otherwise you'll be on the outside of popular culture. So when you choose to live in a countercultural way, you'll need real peace to anchor your soul to. When you survey all the hate and all the evil that we are confronted with daily, you'll need real, authentic love to anchor your heart to. And when you ponder all of the unfaithfulness in our world, you'll need an authentic faith that will weather the storm. This kind of peace, this kind of love, this kind of faith will not come from within you, and it won't come from anything this world has to sell you either. True peace is found in Christ's work at the cross. Through Jesus' work at the cross, you are transformed from being an enemy of God because of your sin into a son or daughter of God because of what Christ has accomplished. Through the cross of Christ, you can experience the true love that would die for an enemy. In the cross of Christ, you could find the only thing worth placing your faith in for all of eternity. In the, in the cross of Christ, we have the major theme of all of the scriptures by which you or I can anchor our hearts and our souls in for every season of life. In this same cross, we are empowered then with a love that never dies. Which brings me to the final thing that I see Paul saying in verse 24, where he talks about an undying love. As he brings his letter to a close, I think Paul is concerned a little bit. It would make sense because I think as a pastor or someone who cares for other people, whether you're a parent or a spouse or a sibling or an employer or an employee, it wouldn't matter. All of us have a responsibility to one another in society, don't we? So I can hear Paul's heart coming out with his concern for his brothers and sisters in Christ. I think it's concerns that the Ephesians would let anything corrupt their love for Jesus. That's part of his concern, is that anything would come in and infect or 
corrupt their love for Jesus. I think that's why he closes his letter in verse 24 with these words. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. I mean, what he's simply saying is just a sentence, right? In clear English language, obviously it wasn't what it was written in, but the way that it's been interpreted, clear language and in linguistics, it's pretty simple. If you possess a love that is undying and incorruptible for Jesus, if your love for Jesus is not being corrupted, then grace is upon you. Simple. And he wants the Ephesian believers to experience that life. A cursory reading of the entire book of Ephesians, I think, would lead us to that conclusion. That this is something Paul desires deeply for his readers. He wants them to have an undying love for Jesus. Now, there are many things that can bring corruption into my love for Jesus. There are many competing loves that can contend with my love for Jesus. Love of sex. The love of money, the love of reputation, the love of success, the love of respect, the love of comfort, the love of knowledge, the love of possessions. Who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God. Every week. Three weeks in a row. God is so good to us, right? Just drops little bombs in here so that we can make sure that we are awake. And it's always the sound guy's fault. We love you, Bryce. And, and when, when anything happens sound-wise, every head in the turn looks. Like, you, I feel bad for you, bro. Um, for all the good work that you do for us, the one time everybody looks at you is when something wrong happens. <laughs> so thank you for your hard work. <laughs> there are many things that would seek to distract us from loving Jesus. You see how easy it is, right? <laughs> the list of competing loves that could corrupt my love for Jesus is endless. Now, what is it right now in your life? What is it right now in your heart that is competing with your love for Jesus? There's one question I want you to be asking when you leave here. It's that question. What is it right now that is competing with my love for Jesus? It's the only question we need to talk about. And once you arrive at that, once you know what that is, you can rest and you can trust that you have a Savior who loves you and that His love for you trumps your inability to love Him perfectly. So that, that kind of truth, that sets me free. It doesn't leave me in bondage to focus on how all I do is fail. Sets me free to love Jesus more and more each day. Though imperfectly, I'm able to love Him well. It's going to be a fearful thing for us to think about sometimes, though, when you ask that question, what is it right now that's competing with my love for Jesus? It can be scary to think about. You've got to admit, admit that you're not perfect. Got to lay down all of your striving and attempting to do it better. Got to lay down all of your attempting and striving to justify why you didn't do it right in the first place. Got to stop trusting in your own efforts and begin trusting in what Christ has accomplished. Those are fearful, hard things to do. It takes time. 
remember that the, the story for you and I is not over yet. You're still breathing. You're still sitting in this room. God the Father is still writing the story of your life. He's not finished with you yet. If you belong to him, he won't be finished with you until you're standing in front of him. Sometimes I worry. <laughs> I struggle with worry. I struggle with anxiety and I struggle with worry badly. And I worry sometimes about whether or not I will make it to the end. You ever struggle with that? What if sin becomes so strong that I walk away from Jesus? It's a question. It's a fear I struggle with. What if persecution comes and I can't stand firm in my faith? What assurance do I have that I, that I would actually remain faithful to the end? How can I be assured that I will persevere with a love for Jesus that is incorruptible and undying? How can I be assured? Where is the assurance in this life? The answer that I hang my hat on all the time is the free gift of God's grace. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. God's grace towards me is what will enable me and will enable you to stand firm and persevere until the end. God's grace upon me is all that will keep my heart and my soul anchored in the midst of every storm. God's grace upon me is all that produces an undying love for Christ that overcomes every other love that comes my way. Because the reality is that what grace is, is God's, un, is God's unearned, unmerited favor and kindness towards me. I couldn't earn it, therefore I couldn't unearn it. That's grace. What God has done is lavish grace upon grace upon grace on us. There's no other thing that will motivate an undying, incorruptible love for Christ. Fear's not going to do it. God's grace upon me is all that produces an undying love for Christ that overcomes every other love that comes my way. I hope that you would receive that. I hope that you would hear that. I hope that you would rest in God's grace towards you, His kindness and His patience towards you. We all need a faithful friend, don't we? His name is Jesus. We all need major themes to anchor our hearts and our souls to. And those themes are like arrows that point us to Jesus. We all need the grace to live with an undying love for Christ. And His work at the cross and His work at the empty tomb is what produces this kind of incorruptible love. It's as I started out with, Jesus is the faithful friend and the major theme that anchors my undying love for him. There's only one place that an undying love could come from. It could come from a perfect Savior who loves perfectly. And when you come face to face with the face of grace, who is Christ, and you experience true radical love, and when that happens, you're transformed and you're changed. And you're enabled to live with an undying love for him. I want you to think finally 
in conclusion to the conclusion about the major themes of the book of Ephesians. You guys have heard me say it almost every week. Three major themes. Sit, walk, stand. And what I want to leave you with is this truth. In Christ, we can sit securely in our friendship with Christ. You get that? In Christ, we can sit securely in our friendship with Christ. And in Christ, we can walk faithfully according to the major themes of the gospel. And in Christ, we can stand firm with an undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. So, friends, sit securely and walk faithfully and stand firm in the gospel. Amen? Father, Father, please take this word and apply it to our hearts in these moments as we close in worship and prayer and as we remember the work that you did at the cross through the receiving of communion. Father, help us in these moments to find our seat securely with you in the heavenlies. Help us in these moments, Father, to look to the cross and the empty tomb of Christ to enable our walking out of the calling that you have upon our lives. Help us in these moments to find strength and power to stand firm with an undying love for you. May your grace be upon us all, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.